the first, second, and last verse of the old rugged cross. Life is 
like you've never known But then things change when You're down in the valley But don't lose faith It's still God in the valley when things go wrong. He'll make them right. And the God of the good time is still God in the bad times. The God of the still God in the night. You talk of faith when you're up on the mountain. The talk comes so easy when life's at its best. Now it's down in the Of trials and temptation That's where your faith is Really put to the test For the God on the mountain Is still God in the valley When things go He'll make them right And the God of the good times Is still God in the bad times The God of the day Is still God in the night The God of the day is still God in the night. Thank you all for that. We got a lot of people going through the night right now, that's for sure. Second Samuel chapter 14. Second Samuel chapter 14. I I pray Sunday night that I was clear. I felt like, I told my wife, I felt like I rambled and um, trying to get this passage across because it was a terrible place to stop. And um, and it, it stopping where I did, but I just I couldn't help it. It just, to me, I felt like it didn't make sense to people. But in, in, in review of what happened on 2 Samuel, if you remember Absalom, had to take in his sister because his Amnon raped Tamar. Terrible story. And when he raped Tamar, um, Tamar left, went to her brother Absalom, and Absalom immediately made her be quiet. He said, don't say anything. 
for two years, Tamar lives with Absalom and Absalom then produces this plan to get all the brothers together and Absalom has his uh, brother Amnon killed by his servants. As soon as he was killed, Absalom takes off to Gesher, remember to be with his grandfather. And he's living in Gesher for about three years. And Joab watches David. Joab is David's confidant. He's his right-hand man. And he watches David for three years mourn, not over, to, not over just Absalom, but his dead son, Amnon. And so as, they're, as he's mourning over this, Joab conceives this plan. And this is what we got to on Sunday night. Can you turn these monitors down just a little bit, please? And this is where we got to Sunday night. Thank you. And we got to the point where everybody hear me? Good. You can't, there's no's and yeses. And all right, maybe just a little bit higher. And we got to the point where David, uh, Joab sends a woman from Tekoa and they, they make this plan up. And this woman from Tekoa said she was a widow. She had two sons. They got in a fight in the middle of the field. One son killed the other one. Now the people want to want to kill the, the, the last son. David, will you protect him? And David said, I'll protect him. And then she turns the story around and says, but why won't you go and get your son Absalom then? It was all a big setup. Now we're going to tie all that together tonight and do not miss Sunday night because wow, how the story goes from zero to a hundred come Sunday night. So we get to... Chapter 14, now we're at verse 21, 2 Samuel. Then the king said to Joab, Behold, now I will certainly do this thing. Go then and bring back the young Absalom. Now here, David and, Ab and, and Joab get together and he says, Joab, you set me up. You had this woman. They have this whole conversation. And then the king, they have this conversation and King David says, Joab, go get my son. Now, Joab is going to regret that he ever stuck his nose where it did not belong. Have you ever done that? Have you ever got in the middle of two families, family quarrels, and you go, I wish I would have stayed out of it because either way, you're going to be a loser, I promise you. And so Joab is the loser. He should have never opened his mouth whatsoever. And next week, you're going to see why he should have left, left this alone. Let his father do his thing. By the way, this wasn't Joab's fault. This was David's fault. David would have handled his son Amnon. Absalom would have never killed Amnon. They would have never been in all this situation. But if you don't get anything from this life of David, I will tell you this, that the rape of, uh, I mean, the, the adultery of Bathsheba is the cause of David's detriment over and over and over. You're going to see next week how all of this even ties in together with Absalom and a man named Ahithophel. You're going to see how the adultery played such a big role. The consequences of that sin go all the way till he's 70 years old. And so he makes an agreement with Joab. He says, Joab, okay, go get Absalom. Go get him. And so the woman from Tekoa, by the way, it's amazing she kept her life because lying to the king like that, he could have killed her. Joab could have been dead. And so Absalom, I mean, uh, Joab is pumped. 
Now he's getting ready. He's getting ready to leave Jerusalem and he's going to go bring back Absalom. And he thinks he's doing the right thing. And I talked about last week, why in the world is Joab so concerned about going to go get Absalom? Well, I told you two reasons. He watched David's mourning, but also you ever heard, what's the old saying? Uh, Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer, right? He considered Absalom possibly an enemy of the state. And so he felt like if Absalom was close, then Absalom would not raise up in rebellion. Maybe that's what it was. But no matter what, Joab is going to go get uh, Absalom, David's son. Verse 22, and Joab fell on his face to the ground, prostrated himself. Blessed be the king. Today your servant uh, knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord and king, that the king has performed the request of his servant. Joab falls down on his face. You know why Joab falls down on his face? He's thankful to still have his life. He's thankful that he set the king up and he had this woman brought in and did this big play for him. And this was the king's response. And he says, I know I have found favor. Now, the reason for this, if you remember, after Joab kills another man, David curses Joab. Joab is scared of David, you know, and maybe Joab is just trying to make up for the past, but he's thankful that he still has his life. Verse 23. So Joab arose. And he went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. All right. Can you imagine Joab's journey to Geshur? Now, I imagine there's probably possibly part of him that's a little nervous. But there's another part of him where he is excited. I'm going to go get Absalom and I'm going to bring him. This will take care of the mourning of David and he'll finally get his son back. Not only that. If Absalom is going to plan a riot to raise up against the kingdom, I'm going to find out about it. We're going to have the knowledge of it. Everything is working out great. But here's the problem. He has been gone for three years with his grandfather. He has a good life. He has he has uh, his wives. He has his own place. Life is good. Okay, you're going to see this later on. Everything's going great. So what is Joab doing now? He's coming up with a story of why Absalom should come back home. I don't know what the conversation was. I would have loved for the Bible to record this conversation and the back to back and forth is like, I, I'm not going back to dad. Dad loves you. He wants you to be with him. He talks about you all the time. I'm tired of hearing him cry himself to sleep at night over Absalom, over Amnon. Won't you just come back? Please come back. You have your house already. Tamar is there. Come back and live with your sister. Come back and raise your family. Jerusalem's where you're supposed to be. I mean, he is just pouring it on. You can hear him. I mean, he had to pour it on so thick that the Bible says Absalom, and he brought Absalom to Jerusalem. It didn't say that that Joab took his servants and his mighty men and wrapped him up in some type of leather straps or handcuffs and drug him back to Jerusalem. He brought him back to Jerusalem. There's a difference. I would love to know what that conversation was like. Verse 24. However, the king said, now this is going to blow your mind. He shall return to his own house, but he shall not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and did not see the king's face. Hmm. Three years he mourned for Absalom. For three years. 
When Joab left, now this is where David's heart is with the Lord, by the way. When Joab left, something happened to David. David began to work bitterness and his anger up and he devised a plan in his heart that when they return back, he doesn't even let Absalom come in his home. David immediately, he sets a boundary line and says, stay there. He don't even want to see him. Here comes the servants. And he said, you stop them before they ever get in this house. And he says, he will not see my face. You're thinking, how in the world can David mourn for Absalom and then in the next breath be so bitter towards him, he don't even want to see him? How can he have these two emotions going on at the same time? Why don't you just give in? Why don't your heart just say, you know what? It was my fault. I should have disciplined Amnon. I should have taken care of the problem and we would have never been in this situation. But David, now he builds a stone wall in front of his heart and he does not want any part of his son. It's mind blowing. Then we move on to verse 25. Now in all of Israel, there was no one as handsome as Absalom. So highly praised from the sole of his foot to the top of his head and there was no impairment in him. I want to tell you, there's never been a weirder transition in all the Bible for me. He went from, you know, I don't want to see him. This is, it's a real dramatic scene to, man, look how handsome Absalom is, right? Well, I believe this is in here because we're getting ready to see, this is one of the first times we're seeing a very prideful man. You don't see uh, a lot of people who maybe are not uh, healthy or, or they're not the best looking or the prettiest or whatever. You usually don't see a lot of pride in that person, but it's the ones who are given this natural beauty. Oftentimes, they're, they're the ones that, have the, that contend with the most pride. And so the Bible says that he was a very handsome man. So when he walked down the street, all the girls were watching him. He was very popular. He was highly praised by his look. And all of this praise and all of this attention, and the Bible says there was no impairment, meaning there was zero physical ailment with his body. He had no scars. He had no broken bones. He had no problems walking. He, had, he, didn't, he didn't hurt when he woke up in the morning. That's what that word says. He was still young. Now, this plays a very important part in Sunday night's service. Because you're going to see part of David and you're going to be like, David, why did you do this? And this verse right here reveals that. So here's, uh, as Donnie was talking about earlier to Carol, talking about, you know, once you turn 40 and then once you turn 50, you know, your body changes. Here's a young man. He doesn't have all the, 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 the problems. He doesn't have the physical ailments. By the way, David does at this point. Verse 26. When he cut his hair... At the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. So he cut it and he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels by the king's weight. Now, some of you women are going to be jealous of this verse. Now, his hair was his pride and joy. By the way, doesn't the Bible talk about a woman's hair is her pride, right? It's her beauty. It's, you know, that's what, 
And so that's why it's so detrimental for women going through chemo and stuff. And they have, they lose all of their hair. Some women embrace it. Some women do not embrace it well. But here's his pride and joy. And, it, and he's building up who this man is. You know, I, I kind of see a Fabio, you know, that, that type of arrogance and the ripping, the rippling muscles. And when he walked down the street, you know, everybody's watching and he would roll up his sleeves, you know. So everybody can see this is this arrogance coming out of this guy. But the Bible says that his hair was heavy. So once a year, he would cut this long flowing hair. Now, how much in the world is 200 shekels? And it would be five and a half pounds of hair. Ladies, would you imagine losing five and a half pounds and just one snip? Sign you up, right? Five and a half pounds of hair. I can't imagine five and a half pounds of hair. My wife complains now because it takes her forever to dry her hair because it's so thick. Can you imagine five and a half pounds of hair? Well, all that being said is to reveal his pride. Verse 27. And to Absalom, there was born three sons. One's daughter, whose name was who? Tamar. Was a beautiful woman in appearance. Now, here's something very interesting. Absalom has three sons and one daughter. Now, here's where I see something in, Tamar, in, in Absalom's heart. Remember, Tamar came back to his house to live after she was raped, and he watched her cry day in and day out, and he lived. she lived with him the rest of her days, died marriageless, uh, husbandless, a rape victim by her own brother. He had compassion for Tamar, so much so that he killed Amnon. But he names his own daughter Tamar. I believe it's because how much he loved his sister, not in a sexual way like Amnon did, but he had compassion. He saw her brokenness. And it's possible that Tamar is dead by now. It is possible. And it could be that he named his daughter Tamar as a remembrance of his sister. But the Bible also says he had three sons. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have historically looked up all of this. I see no evidence of what their son's names were. I have no idea who they were. I was trying to trace them back to find out some lineage, to find out what they did in, in their lives. Nobody knows. Only verse I can tell you that he mentions his sons is found in 2 Samuel 18, 18. Listen as I read. Now Absalom, this is towards the end of Absalom's life, in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a memorial stone, which is in the king's valley. And he said this, I have no son to continue my name. So he named the memorial stone after his own name and called it Absalom's monument to this day. Later on, towards the end of Absalom's life, by the way, I think that shows a, a, maybe a prideful thing too. He just names the monument after himself. But he says, I have no sons to name this monument after. It is possible that Absalom lost all three of his sons to some type of tragedy, maybe some type of fighting or whatever. And so Tamar, his daughter, I have no idea what happened to her but we do know that his sons died before him. We move on to verse 28. 
Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Can you imagine? He's sitting there in Jerusalem for two years. Now if you do the math, let's talk about this. He had he had uh, three he had uh, he had according to the Bible adding it all up. There's almost seven years of not being with David. Seven years have passed since the killing of Amnon. And he had not seen his father for seven years. Can you imagine your child living right down the road? His house was right next to the palace. Can you imagine two years and not seeing your father who lived next door? This shows you the bitterness, but let me tell you what it does. It builds resentment in Absalom's heart. He never saw the king's face. And so what happened, this great tension begins to build between father and son. Not only this, Absalom never went back to Geshur to see his grandfather again. So many things begin to break down and his, his world begins to break down. At least in Geshur, he had his freedom. He didn't feel like he was constantly being avoided. And so this begins Absalom getting a plan together in his mind and he grows so bitter at David. And I could possibly say this, the Bible doesn't say it, that I believe he begins to hate his father. And the reason he hates his father is because he didn't do what he was supposed to do and take care of the sin of his brother. And now it's almost like, Absalom, I'm blaming you for my sin. Verse 29. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. So he sent word again a second time, but he would not come. Absalom had had enough. Why did he send for Joab? Well, he's David's right-hand man. Who went and got Absalom from Gesher? Who convinced him, come back home. Your daddy really wants to see you. Come back home. It'll be great. Man, we'll have a great festival. We'll see all your brothers. Everybody will be happy. We'll all get together. We'll have a homecoming meal. Somebody will make a casserole. Please come here. He keeps begging him. So he goes, two years later, Joab, I need to see you. Joab goes, um, have you ever had that phone call before? The person you don't want to talk to? Because you know that it's going to be a confrontational phone call. Uh, decline. So Joab calls, Joab, uh, Absalom calls Joab on his cell phone and he declines it. Joab says, decline. He may even send the text, I'll call you back. You ever done that before? I'll call you back. Going, I ain't calling them back, right? The Bible says he would not come. He keeps ignoring. Twice he ignores. You know, Joab's intentions might have been right. Maybe it was really for David and his mourning. But he should have stayed out of the family problems. Make this a note. Keep your nose out where it doesn't belong. So Joab knows he messed up. Because if Joab's conscience was clear, it's the first messenger that sent him out. He would have been at Absalom's door going, yeah, bud, what do you need? Do you know what I think? I think Joab and Absalom didn't talk about after the first year and a half. I don't think they spoke because I think Joab hid from Absalom. 
I think he tried to stay away from him. Hey, what happened to all the promises that my dad was going to be glad to see me? What about all the promises that all the family was going to get together? What about all the promises? He's, he's, you know, Joab is trying to get away from this man. And so he's ignored him now twice. Now, what do you do to a man who is already mad, not at you, but already mad at his father, and he's been sitting in his house for two whole years in resentment and bitterness? You don't ignore a man like that because he is going to get your attention. And he does. Verse 30. Therefore, he said to his servant, see Joab's plot is next to mine. He has barley, set it on fire. So Absalom's servant set the plot on fire. He looks over, remember, because everybody's right there in the palace, in the kingdom, and Joab's field was right there. Now, this is a really big deal. I mean, they just, you know, they it took a lot to raise all of this garden and raise this field and to be able to take this crop and, and, and all that goes into that. Joab says, I'll get his attention. Go set his field on fire. And you know what's interesting? He said this to his servants. When was the last time that Absalom told his servants to do something? To kill who? Amnon. Joab, I mean, Absalom never did anything himself. He told his servants to kill his brother. He told his servants to go set Joab on fire. I don't know if he thought he was too good, but I. But there's part of me that's like some deniability there. Like, well, I didn't do it. I mean, I didn't strike the match. I didn't hold a knife. And so he sets the man's field on fire. Why? Because he didn't come and respond to his text. He didn't respond to his phone call. He sets the man's field on fire. Can you imagine Joab's response? Then Joab got up and he came to Absalom at his house and said to him, why have your servants set my plot on fire? I imagine Joab did get up. Finally, Joab didn't get up to find out how to restore this relationship and to make this right. Joab comes to Absalom in anger. He says, why have you done this? You know, Joab thinks probably this is an overkill. Do you think this is an overkill? The man didn't respond to his text, his phone call, and he sets his field on fire. Is this an overkill? Well, not to a man who's sitting in his house for two years being promised that his dad would have a relationship with him and his dad hasn't showed his face to him in seven years total. Do you think that you think this is an overkill for a man like this? I just want you to understand this is how far Absalom heart has grown cold and bitter towards David, towards the kingdom. He had, he wanted nothing to do with them. He had no respect for persons or property by this point in his life. And I'm going to tell you this, Absalom is a very, very dangerous man at this point. Now, the problem is David is not a young man no more. And you're going to see David is close to 64 years old by this point. David is, you're going to see a side of David where he's kind of, where, do you, where are you at? What are you doing? Are you not involved in your kingdom anymore? Are you, are you there? And I've got, I've got some theories about this. But he is an older man now. And all of this is happening. And Absalom is fired up. Verse 32, almost done. 
Absalom answered, Joab, Behold, I sent for you, saying, Come here that you may send, uh, that I may send you to the king. And he says, Why have I come from Gesher? It would have been better for me to still be there. Now then, let me see that my king's face, and if there's any guilt in me, he can have me executed. You see, he's just answering uh, Joab's question. Why have you set my field on fire? He said, because I sent for you and you never came. He's unloading his anger. Now, this is not the only thing that was said. Understand, we only know just portions of what was said. I imagine there was a yelling match going on. Joab was yelling at Absalom and Absalom was yelling at him back. He said, you should have come when I called you. You set my field on fire. Think about how this conversation was going. And then, but Absalom asked the question that I would have asked. Why did you bring me here? Why did you bring me here? Do you think that's a fair question? Why did I come? And that's all he wants answered. Why did I come here? You mean, you, you promised me all this stuff, but Joab, when it didn't happen, you ignored me. Why am I here? I had a good life in Gesher, and now I'm sitting in Jerusalem. I'm angry, and I'm bitter, and I've been in this house. Possibly Tamar is now dead. Maybe he's already lost one son. He's grown to be a, a hateful man. Why am I here? And he says this, let me see the king. I'm done playing games with you, Joab. Let me see him. And then he says this, there is no guilt in me. You know what he's justified? The killing of Amnon is a justifiable killing. Now, would you agree with that? Some of you would be like, if you rape my sister, yes, you know. But according to the law, he was not justified. What was David supposed to do to Absalom? Absalom was supposed to be killed. That's what was supposed to happen. But he had sat in that house in his pride and all of his glory and all of his muscles and all of his hair and say, I know I did exactly what I was supposed to do. There is no guilt in me. And then he says this, and if there's an ounce of guilt in me, and if I did anything wrong, let David execute me. This is, listen to the pride as it pours out of him. I didn't do nothing wrong. You ever dealt with children like that? You ever dealt with adults like that? I ain't done nothing wrong. And they're dead wrong. And they're standing there. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I ain't done nothing wrong. And you're like, how can you not see what you've done wrong? He said, I ain't done nothing wrong. He had justified, by, by the way, can we not justify a lot in our mind? We can justify a lot of stuff. Dead wrong, but try to justify it. He had already justified it, that kill, justified that killing his own brother because if he raped his sister, it was a justifiable murder. And he did not deserve to be punished. In his own mind, he was above the what? The law. By the way, now what happens today? People think they're above the law. And then when they get caught or whatever, they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes to hide the lawyer and the lawyer pleads their case and they say, this is, should not happen. I mean, they're, they're guilty. But they're above the law. 
Some law enforcement officers think they're above the law. Some judges think they're above the law. There's nobody above the law. And then the last verse, and we're out of here. So when Joab came to the king and told him, he summons Absalom. And then Absalom came to the king, prostrated himself with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. This is pretty amazing. Joab didn't take long. He didn't even answer Absalom. Why did you bring me here? Come on, let's go. I, I just wish he would have answered him. I, I, I want to know. I wish he would have answered him. Would he have told the truth? I don't know. But I just wish I would have heard the answer. Why did Joab bring Absalom? What was his reasoning? But that conversation ended. He said, okay, you've got your point across. Let's go see the king. And soon as Joab came to the king, all right? Or what, I mean, Absalom came to the king. What did he do? He threw himself on the ground in front of his daddy. And he bowed down to him. And all I have to say about that is that was a bunch of malarkey. It was nothing but show. That's all it was. Oh, Father, I have missed you so much. Oh, it's been seven years since we've come together. Oh, and the fake tears are coming down his cheek. And in his heart, I hate you, I hate you, and I hate you. That was what's in his heart. Don't let this, this fool you, because Sunday night, you're going to see this man Absalom. And you're going to see a deep-rooted anger that's getting ready to come out. And you're going to see a pride in this man. You're going to see an evil in this man. And you're going to see a, a, a King David that will and cannot fight this man. And the Bible says this. The king kissed him. You know what happened? You know what? That, that, that text means this. David jumps up from his chair, from his throne, whatever, the 64-year-old man, 60-year-old man, whatever he is, he lifts his son up off the ground and grabs him and kisses him right on the cheek and they embrace. And David has thrown his arms around his son and hugs him tight and Absalom's on the other side going... And David's crying. I believe David's crying real tears. And Absalom is just like, can this be over? And now David thinks, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everything is now good. Now I've only mourning one son. I didn't lose two sons. I've only lost one son. Thank you, Lord, for bringing my son home to me. And the whole time, he's hugging evil. The whole time. And Sunday night, we're going to see this evil Absalom and his plot against his daddy. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word and his power. God, we can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences. And David is learning the consequences of his sin to the end of his life. Father, we see a David that his, his heart was not the same as it was as a young man. His strength definitely is not the same as it was. But we also see the consequences of him not handling and being just in his actions towards his kids. 
And because he did not discipline his kids when he was supposed to discipline him, it caused nothing but confusion. It caused nothing but anger. And it eventually plays out on his own life. Father, let us learn a lot from these people and learn what they did right and what they did wrong and help us avoid it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you and good night.